If you have your Bibles this morning, you can turn to the Psalms right in the middle of your Bible. We're looking at Psalm 19 together. I, uh, every year in our discipleship groups, we call them journey groups, we are challenged to work back through our personal testimony. The words we would use to share with somebody um, about the good news, the hope that we have in Jesus. And over the years, I keep coming back to uh, a few terms that I actually learned from the, the journey material itself uh, that describes really my story of my relationship with Jesus. It's the three words, purpose, freedom, and assurance. Um, I think those words do a great job of summing up what the Christian life is all about, that we were created with with huge purposes that God designed us for, that we have the freedom in Christ not to do what we want to, but to do what God has made us to do, um, to obey what He has created us to, uh, uh, to be about. And then the assurance that as we follow Him, uh, as we trust in Jesus for our salvation, that we will live in eternity with Him. Um, the, uh, the text before us this morning, Psalm 19, talks about the joy of obedience. And it talks about it in terms not um, of we've got to obey to gain acceptance to God. That's not the good news. That's not the gospel that the Bible presents. But it talks about it in terms of when you've trusted your life with Jesus, as you trust Him on a day-to-day basis to, to live life, to have the strength to do what He's asked you to do, there is joy in following the path that He's put out for you. There is purpose that you'll find. There is freedom to do that, to follow Him. And there's assurance that comes with following Him. Let me, let me read it for us and, and pray, and then we'll jump in and see what the Word of God has for us this morning. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard Their measuring line goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there's nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, will you come and open our eyes to your word God, without you, we won't see what you'd have us to see. Without you, there's no hope of ever applying what we read here. 
So Holy Spirit, come and enlighten our eyes, work in our hearts, and uh, move us to, to, to change, to be about uh, what you'd have us be about. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, imagine if you were on your way to church this morning, and it would happen to you like has happened to me before. You um, are you know, going the speed limit, of course, and you, uh, but you zoom by a little uh, puppy in the road. And you, you zoom by and you, you see it out the corner of your eye and you look in the rearview mirror and you, you zoom by so fast you see him spinning around in your rearview mirror and you slam on brakes and something's tugging in your heart. You can't, you can't just leave him there. He looks so helpless and so sweet. So you, you turn around and uh, you don't know what else to do. So you pick him up and put him in the car. You don't see anybody around and you cl- you're close to the church so you just come on and drive and find your parking space and, um, and get out. And as you look around, um, up drives this big limousine with these flags flying. Uh, and it looks like maybe somebody important, uh, maybe a dignitary. And uh, weirdly, out of one of the, the windows, you see a, a megaphone come popping out saying, uh, Great reward for whoever can find our lost puppy. Well, you think that's convenient because you just found a lost puppy. And so you, you grab the little thing and you walk up to the car and you say, Hey, I found your puppy. Um, and you're, you're getting excited. You know, it looks like an important person steps out, all dressed up you know, to the nines. And, and he says, this is, this is unbelievable. Uh, I had purchased this puppy for my, my only daughter, and she was waiting for me to bring it home. Um, your reward will be great. And so you're thinking to yourself, man, what is this going to be? And you say, what is it? Is it a car, a new car? And he says, no, 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 no. This is much better than just a new car. You say, oh, what, like, like a house? And he says, no, 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 this is, this is so much better than a brand new house. And you're thinking, well, he's, he must be rich. Uh, what is it, money? He says, no, 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 this is, this is far greater than any amount of money that I could, get, could, could give you. And you think, well, well, what can it be? I mean, you're on the edge of your seat. And he says, this is your great reward. Your great reward that I want to give you today is obedience. You say, what? He says, your, your reward is that you get to keep the teachings of God for the rest of your life. And then he gets into his car and he, he drives off. How many of you, at the news that, that your great reward is that you get to keep the teachings of God for the rest of your life, are just bursting with excitement? And you can't wait to, to come into church and tell everybody, hey, guess what I just got? Guess what reward I just received? I get to keep the teachings of God to the rest of my life, for the rest of my life. Well, we look at the Bible and we see the storyline of Scripture that says we were created for a perfect, intimate relationship with the Almighty God. And that the way that relationship worked is trust and obey. That He made us. To, to live in such a relationship with Him that we trust and we, we obey what He says and that that's how life works right. That's how things work the way they're supposed to be. And we also read of the fall that we've, we've sinned. And the very definition of the fall was disobedience. That's what, that's what sent everything into to disarray. And we also read, if we skip to the end, that there's a day coming that where we're headed, where all of creation is headed... Is to a time when we will all joyfully obey the King forever. That's where we're headed. But what do we do now? Well, 
The scriptures tell us now what we get to do is to obey God. To joyfully obey what He set out before us. That's what Psalm 19 tells us this morning. And we'll walk through it together and, uh, and see what that means. The first thing we see as we look at Psalm 19 is that um, we see nature models what it looks like to joyfully obey God. Nature models the joy of obeying God. You see it in the first few verses. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their measuring line goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them He has set a tent for the sun which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs his course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there's nothing hidden from its heat. What on earth is he talking about there? He is giving you a picture, giving us a picture, of what the joy of obeying God looks like. And he says, all you got to do is look at nature. Look at how things work rightly, and you get a picture of the joy of obeying God. He says that the earth pours forth speech, which the, the, the imagery there is of this irrepressible bubbling up of a, of a spring, uh, perhaps alluding to this unfailing variety in which uh, the days reflect the Creator's mind. You know, you wake up every morning and there's, there's newness, there's freshness. It, it's, a, it's a new start to, to creation. And there's this knowledge that's revealed that like, like a, a black cloth and you put a diamond on it and it shows how, how beautiful the diamond is. It says the night sky, the darkness of it, the stars are illumined and just show the beauty of God. There's this paradox of, of wordless speech in verses 3 and 4 that says nature doesn't have a voice, yet its cry goes out and there, there's no bounds that restrict the witness that nature gives. And then it says the ultimate example that it gives is the sun. It says, who is exultant and magnificent, yet obedient. It says the whole sky is its tent and its track. It says it's, it's the, the allusion to a bridegroom who's, who's been preparing and waiting for his bride, and now he bursts forth from his chamber with, with all this celebration that goes on as he goes on track to, to, to meet his bride. That's, that's how it describes the sun. And it says it follows its circuit from, from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth. It's almost like it's on a track. And that there's nowhere that's hidden from, its, from its, its heat, its glory, as it enjoys doing what it's supposed to do. Um, I heard someone say, you know, a train never complains about being on tracks. Because if a train gets off of its tracks, it means disaster, right? It's the same with the sun. It's on this track and it, it, it enjoys, it glories in being able to, to, to follow this track, this course that's set forth. And its beams reach uh, every nook and cranny of creation. Lewis, C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says, Many people, and I am one myself, would never, but for what nature does, have any content to put into the words that we use in confessing our faith. He says, Nature never taught me that there exists a God of infinite majesty. I had to learn that in other ways. But nature gave the word glory a meaning for me. He says, I still don't know where else I would have found one. I don't see how the fear of God would ever have meant anything to me but the lowest efforts to be safe if I'd never seen certain ominous ravines and unapproachable crags. 
If nature had never awakened certain longings in me, huge areas of what I now mean by the love of God would never, so far as I can see, have existed. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, I, I didn't come to the saving knowledge uh, of Jesus by looking at nature. He's not saying that at all. He's saying the things that I found in Scripture to be true about God found a picture, found a, an example in nature. And it gave uh, meaning, it, filled, uh, it illustrated what I meant by these words as I looked at how nature models it for me. In Psalm 19, nature is not modeling love or fear, but it's modeling the glory of obedience. It says just open your eyes on a day-to-day basis and let nature teach you what it looks like to glory in obeying what God has put forth. Now, he doesn't stop there. That's only the first point. He then moves to talk about how Scripture details the sweetness of obeying God. Nature models it, but Scripture details the sweetness of obeying God. Did you catch all those words in verses 7 through 10? Um, look just at, at the, the nouns. Well, first of all, the, 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 the mood shifts here. It moves from just a God who uh, works through nature to communicate to us to now a personal God. Now it's Yahweh, our Lord, and it's repeated. It's moved to a personal aspect of revelation through His Word, where He's communicated to us personally. Let's look at the nouns that are used. Uh, He uses law, testimony, precepts, fear, reverence, ordinances, judgments, all kind of nouns uh, that mean various things talking about what God's revealed will is. The law, uh, the testimony, the aspect of truth attested by God, the precepts or commands, the authority in which He addresses us. The fear or reverence, which is the human response fostered by his word. And his ordinances or judgments, the the decisions that he's recorded about various human situations. Um, You you can think about it like this. Uh, There's, theologians use, there's three uses of the law. If you've heard that, one uh, or two that that Luther used to talk about was that uh, the law restrains sin. It keeps us from being as bad as we can be. And... It points to Jesus, because as we try to keep the law, we realize we can't do it, so we have to, to, to grasp on to someone who has. But then Calvin added a third use to those two. And that use was uh, that the law is also a lamp to our feet to guide us in the right way to live. Um, and you can picture that here with these nouns, that it's like God's walking with us, holding out this lamp, saying, here's my will. Look, follow this way. And then as we walk together, he, he, he says, this is my testimony. It's, I'll attest to it myself that this is the good way. This is the right way. And then it comes with authority. And then we respond uh, in in reverence. And and he tells us decisions he's made about specific areas. So we don't have to just try to figure it out ourselves. We've got this lamp, this God to walk with us and show us the right way to live. These terms show the purpose of revelation to bring God's will to bear on on the hearer, to evoke intelligent reverence, well-founded trust, and detailed obedience. And that's just the nouns. He also has adjectives. He calls the, the Word of God perfect, sure, right, um, pure and clean and, and true, which means dependable. Um, it, it talks about the Word um, being different than our human relationships. Uh, it's not this, this world of compromise or insincerity or half-truths that come with human interaction. No, this is, this is right. This is true. You can, you can bank on it, it says. And then it's got verbs, too. It, it's reviving, making wise, rejoicing, enlightening, enduring, 
Um, they, they show what Scripture does for men. And, and then it says that they're true and they're right. It, it talks about what Scripture is in and of itself. Now, if we were to read, if I were to put these on a, on a, on a banner and, and, and we were to read these kind of descriptions applied to any other book um, that you can get at Barnes & Noble, then, then you'd have to go check it out. I mean, these are pretty amazing descriptors. But the minute we realize it's talking about the Bible, is our, our face kind of drops and we say, oh, oh yeah, the Bible. I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Why is that? Why, why can't we get that about the Bible? I compare it to, um, well, I never have understood why people collect things. Um, there, many of you may collect things. My brother did. He would, uh, and I don't know if he did it intentionally necessarily, but he would always save his, his sports memorabilia. Whenever you go to a Georgia game, you save the ticket. Or if he ever got some autographs, as we did, from, from Braves players or something like that, he'd save that, and he'd have these pictures, and they'd all be posted on this bulletin board by his bed. Um, but it, it really wasn't the things themselves, right? It, to him, those things represented something he truly loved. You know, each, each ticket represented an event that he didn't want to forget. He wanted to relive. Remember, remember that game? Remember how the sun was out, and it was just a great day? You know, each picture reminded him of great experiences that he'd been through. Each autograph pointed him to a, a team member that he'd had the privilege to meet. It wasn't these little things. It was what they pointed to. The, the thing that he loved. The, the sport that he loved. How much more so the words of our God. See, it's not the actual letters. It's not this thin paper that makes this cool sound when we flip it. It's, it's not the discipline of, of quiet time just for the sake of quiet time or obedience for the sake of obedience no, we, we love and we cherish these words because they usher us into the presence of the lover of our souls. They tell us about the God that we know and we love, that we want to walk with and have a relationship with. The Bible, uh, Scripture, is, is not just this, this list of rules. It's about a relationship with the lover of our souls. And that's where you see uh, that the psalmist goes next. The last few verses talk about the worshiper's response to, to, to this. To, that nature models the obedience um, of God, the joy of obedience. And the scriptures talk about the sweetness of obedience. And then it talks about what our response is. And it's really captured in, in verse 11, but then expounded on. Verse 11 is very, very curious. It says, Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them is great reward. That word reward there really can be translated consequence. It's not really a wage as much as it is a consequence. He's saying in keeping these, these commands, these words, there's going to be great consequence, whether you keep them or whether you don't. Well, what is that reward? It's not money. It's, it's not a house. It's not all these things that we think of when we think of rewards. There's something deeper going on here. Um, there's something that God's doing in us because we know, don't we? When we read words like that, and we say, okay, I've kept some of those things. And I, you know, my life is, is, is hard right now. I'm struggling. What's this deal? It didn't seem like a reward to me. What's, what's he doing? What is this reward? Well, the consequences are, are, are twofold. Uh, first of all, they're, they're evidential. They're, they're evi it's evidence. Keeping God's covenant word is evidential. It demonstrates that our faith is real and not imitation. Um, meaning that if the trend of, of obedience is missing in our lives, then that, that suggests that gratitude for forgiveness is not there and that possibly we, we haven't tasted of His saving grace. So one way to evidence that we really know the Lord is by our, our, our obedience, our actions. 
But it's not just evidential, it's, it's instrumental. It does something in us. It's a means by which we receive something from God. And here's what we receive. In keeping the commands of God, you receive a new character. You become somebody different. Uh, God actually intends to take sinners like me and like you and form us in this life something of the heavenly beauty and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he does this by our obedience, even and especially as we trust him when, when, when it's the last thing we want to do. Again, C.S. Lewis is helpful. He says it this way. He says, people often think of Christian morality as a kind of bargain in which God says, if you keep a lot of rules, I'll reward you. If you don't, I'll do the other thing. I don't think that's the best way of looking at it, he says. He says, I would, I would much rather say that every time you make a choice, you're turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses, into something a little different from what it was before. And taking your life as a whole with all your innumerable choices, all your life long, you're slowly turning this central thing either into a heavenly creature or a hellish creature. Either into a creature that's in harmony with God and with other creatures and with itself, or into one that's in a state of war and hatred with God and with fellow creatures and with itself. And each of us, he says, at each moment is progressing to the one state or to the other. What is he saying? He's saying every day we, we face hundreds of decisions. Whether I'm going to do it my way or the world's way, or whether I'm going to trust that God's way is best and, and do that instead. And every time we, we, we make a decision, we're, we're forming the inner part of us, our character. It's, again, this is, not, this is not what we're doing to, to gain God's acceptance. This is saying we're trusting in Jesus for that. But how do I live my day-to-day life? How does God continue to work in me? He does it by us obeying Him, by us trusting that His way is best. And that's exactly what the worshiper does in verses 12 through 14. What does he say? He says, Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. What does he do? He prays. He says, God, there's no way I can do this. Left to myself, I'm going to want to go do all these things that that I want to do. So you've got to do this in me. He goes and he throws himself at the mercy of God. He he lets go of struggling in in his own strength and in his own way for what he wants. And he says, I'm going to choose the better way. I'm going to hold on to Jesus. I'm going to hold on to you, God, and, and plead with you. Work these things in me. God, you've got to declare me innocent. God, you've got to be the one that keeps me back from presumptuous sins. You've got to be the one that lets these things not have dominion over me and that makes the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart acceptable. I can't do it. And then we flip over to the New Testament and we see the answer to those prayers. They're in the, the person of Jesus. Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, not just to predestine them, but to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Second Peter 1 4, it says, By which he's granted to us precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become 
what? The righteousness of God. He's saying Jesus came and lived this perfectly. Because you can't. I can't. And so we trust in Him for our standing before God, but we also trust in Him to to change us, to conform us into the image of God on a day-to-day basis. Jesus not only gains acceptance to a holy God for us by His obedience, He also enables us, who had never been able before, to now respond to His grace in loving obedience. God does that. He does it in purchasing our salvation, and He does it on a day-to-day basis by giving us the strength now to follow Him, to embrace and to live in obedience joyfully, as He forms us, as He makes us lovable, as He makes us into the image of His Son. This is a psalm which the psalms were Israel's hymn book, and they were meant to be sung. Um, And there are reasons they were meant to be sung. They're supposed to express the desires of our heart. But as you know, as I know, as we go to this, a lot of times these aren't the desires of our heart. So it's also made to, to form in us these desires, to, to help shape our emotions, so that we'd feel rightly about the things of God. What would, what would singing this have done for the Israelites? What would singing it uh, and studying it uh, today do to us? What should it do to us? Well, it should give us vision to learn from nature, to be able to look and see, man, look at the sun today. Look at... Look at how it's following its circuit from one end of the heavens to the other and doing it so joyfully I can feel its heat. It's just beaming with excitement for doing what it's created to do. To learn from nature in that way. It should give us a love and a hunger for the Word of God to go to this not as, not as drudgery, but as an opportunity to see, God, what is the best way? What is your way? And then, God, work this in me so that I, I can experience that joy of obedience. It should give us a hunger and a love for obeying God as we sing and, and, and recount these ways that the, Lord, that the Word of the Lord is perfect and sure and all these things. And fourthly, it should, should shape our prayers. Um, we should pray the Word of God. God, these precious and great promises that we just we talked about, God, I want that for my life. Would you do this? You've said you'll do it. I'm trusting you. Work this out. I can't do it. I'll end with this, and I've shared this before, but um, I love and, and, and treasure my kids. And if I had it my way, I would always only play with them and cuddle with them and, and play puzzles and read to them. But the truth is, and this may come as a surprise, but they're disobedient. Um, and so at times, uh, when they're disobedient, I love them, and so I'll discipline them to teach them obedience. And sooner or later, they'll learn their lesson. But the truth is this. The truth is time is finite. And every minute that we spend in discipline, crying and restoration, um, is time that we didn't and cannot now spend cuddling or reading or playing together. I don't say it's wasted time. It's just time that we haven't been able to go forward in our relationship together. And it's the same thing with Christian growth. Obedience doesn't earn us the relationship with God, but it is the way that we experience that relationship and go forward in it. Obedience is the way that we evidence the work of God in us and the way that He shapes us into the kind of people that we were created to be. So let's pray this morning that He would work that in us uh, even today.
God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you haven't left us to ourselves to figure it out. God, we can't obey on our own. We'll, we'll follow our own way. We'll follow the way of the world. Um, and it'll end in destruction. But God, thank you that you've given us um, your word. This great lamp to our feet. Uh, that you walk with us and tell us how to relate rightly to you. In a way that will bring you glory and us great joy. So we pray even this week, even today, that we would cherish obeying you. That if we, if we view it differently, if we view it as a drudgery, that God, you would root that out of us and work in us instead um, a joy of obeying and following hard after you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand now, receive the benediction, and then we'll sing.